IROC, Space Radio. Roger, restart. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Three, two, one. It's now time for The Space Revolution with Rick Tomlinson. Hey there, and welcome to IROC Space Revolution Radio with Rick Tomlinson. I'm happy to be back here, and uh, today we have a great, great guest. We're going to be diving into the most important part of the space community, the space revolution, and that's the young people, education. Because without education, you don't have a nation, as somebody once said. I mean, without education, you don't have anything. And it is the rock upon which everything else that we're doing out there is built. And uh, so I'm really excited to have our guest here, Dr. Mark Wagner, PhD. Um, Mark is the president of the Space Prize and the founder of Aries Learning. He has a bunch of other credentials. And uh, as you know, we're going to be talking through the interview about a lot of these different things. So I won't go into a big introduction right now. The actual show itself, in a way, is Mark's introduction to you. Uh, Mark, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rick. This is exciting. And uh, I, it's, I feel like I'm on set with you with all of your books and paraphernalia behind you. So <laughs> fantastic to be yeah. on, on video while we're recording the audio. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And largely, this is going to be heard as a as a podcast. Uh, we are recording video with all of these someday or in some way they may end up uh, in, in uh, you know, actual video, uh, which is why we are wearing clothes um, and uh, <laughs> doing it this way. Um, and you've got some cool stuff going on behind you, too. Uh, so, Mark, um, you know, as I was saying, this is really the bedrock of of any technological frontier um, in, in the sense that, you know, knowledge, the quest for knowledge, the hunger for knowledge really comes out of having a great education. And um, what I want to start with is we're going to talk about some of your projects. Uh, then we're going to talk some more about uh, the different things that have inspired you, your story. Uh, and then we'll have some fun along the way uh, about some other topics. But first of all, tell me about the Space Prize. Sure. So Space Prize, I think the origin story is actually kind of interesting because our founding board members, uh, one of them in particular, Roman Chibaruka, was in the luxury uh, travel industry, uh, working with very wealthy clients. Um, and naturally, uh, some of them would like to go to space. And uh, he was uh, approached a few years back by uh, Axiom to help sell tickets to that uh, AX1 flight that just went up earlier this year. So uh, they they did sell a $55 million ticket to space, and that, that made it very real. Um, and they launched a brand called Space VIP, which aggregates all the, the private astronaut experiences that one could uh, could book themselves for. And uh, right away, they ran into this sort of billionaire in space narrative and the question of why are we spending money on space when we should be spending money on the problems here on Earth? These are uh, narratives I know you're familiar with. Uh, and they became real interested then in what they call universal space literacy and kind of uh, rising the tide for everyone, lifting all boats, um, helping people understand the benefits of why we're going to space. Um, so they, they ended up launching space prize for that purpose to, to pursue uh, universal space literacy. 
And their first benefactor was one of Roman's clients, um, Caroline Starostic, who made her millions in technology and wanted to give back. And that clarified the focus on young women, which was uh, so clearly a need in the uh, aerospace industries. Uh, depending on how you measure it, you're looking at about 20% of uh, leadership and technical positions, especially being women, which means we're, we're leaving a lot of talent on the table uh, from a societal perspective. You don't want young women growing up thinking it's not for them. Um, and that they can't be a part of it. We want everybody uh, firing on all thrusters as it is and, and being a part of this growing space economy. So Space Prize is focused on empowering young women to pursue STEAM education, science, technology, education, uh, engineering, the arts and math, uh, and to explore careers in the growing space economy. So we do that through the spectacular prizes, which we could talk about, and also through open education resources that are in turn available to students, educators, uh, and enthusiasts everywhere. Since it's in the name, tell us about the prizes. Sure. So the uh, the very first Space Prize Challenge was in New York City, where uh, most of the team is based. We uh, ran a, in January of this year, we ran an essay contest uh, uh, with public schools across the five boroughs. We then had a video contest in February. And by March, we had 25 finalists, five from each borough. Uh, participate in a simulated mission to Mars at the Challenger Center there in New York City. We were also able to have a Yuri's Night celebration for them in April. And in April, we sent five winners uh, to Space Camp Lift, which is their new leadership program. And in May, we sent five winners up on a zero-G flight uh, for a parabolic flight uh, where they experienced weightlessness. And they got to fly with Star Trek's Denise Crosby uh, and our executive director, uh, Kim Masharia, uh, it was a really fantastic experience. And they've got a year of mentorship. Each of the winners was paired with uh, an influential woman in the space industry uh, from all across the industry, uh, from from uh, PR writers to uh, you know financiers. And um, so their mentorships are still underway. But that model has now been used to launch a similar contest in Paris and a similar one in Portugal uh, with more to follow. Uh, and if all goes well, we've got uh, reservations on uh, space perspective uh, in 2025. So the idea is to launch a contest around that when, when the time comes. Space perspective being a balloon um, edge of atmosphere. Yes, right, exactly. People who don't yes. want to strap themselves to a, a bomb and ride into space, right? <laughs> it's a totally different experience. Two hours to go up, two hours to hang out uh, at the top and look down at the earth and take photos and everything. And uh, two hours to come back, splash down uh, off the space center. Yeah, I I love space perspective. We'll have some of them on um, uh, in a show at some point in the that future. That would be a great episode. Yeah, they're great, great folks. Um, okay, so <clears throat> beyond that, now you have uh, started working on this Aries learning, which is sort of a whole new take on sort of STEAM related education. I mean, you know what? I'm not going to define it. Tell us about Aries Learning. Yeah, sure. Thank you. And and actually, I'll use the Space Prize uh, Open Education Resources as a segue because one of the questions we had right up front and a hat tip to uh, Daniel Fox for asking it, but what are we going to do for the girls that don't win and don't go up, right? And so it was clear right from the beginning we had to have some sort of meaningful education experience for them. Uh, and among the first projects we launched then in April was the guest speaker series. So Space Prize hosts uh, often a woman, but sometimes a man, uh, but professionals from all across the space industry. So we've talked to um, astronauts, engineers, and scientists, of course, 
but we've also talked to uh, space lawyers and space historians and space designers of various kinds. We had a, a designer of um, luxury spacecraft interior designer on the show. We've got a, a zero G fashion designer coming up. So uh, part of the idea is to illustrate how many varied career trajectories there are into the industry now or into the broader space economy that's that's influenced by by space technology um and just hearing their stories and their challenges and their advice for for kids has been awesome the other thing we did is we launched a curriculum which uh is actually due out uh within a week so certainly by the time your listeners hear this uh it should be available at spaceprize.org but it's a pretty ambitious approach to um a high school curriculum for space education. So it's not just an introduction to the solar system and space science, and it's not just the history of space exploration, but it looks at why all of this matters, like why is space technology important to the environment on Earth, for instance. Uh, it looks at the uh, what all is happening in the space economy, and it looks at um, philosophical issues like ethics and governance and sustainability. Um, and it looks at longer-term issues like uh, avoiding extinction and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, living up to our higher aspirations to shepherd life through the uh, solar system. So it really is a, uh, an overview for high school age students in the, the things that you and I, I think, spend our, our days on. Um, so Space Price has, has these open education resources are open to students, educators, enthusiasts anywhere. Um, so what you're asking about with Aries is, is a whole nother step behind, beyond that. What if you had a school that was focused on this? And my, my career uh, in the 20 odd years before COVID was in education technology and teacher professional development. And we worked with innovative schools all over the world um, in, in dozens of countries. And so we've seen what works and what doesn't. And there's these pockets of innovation all over that, that have not been scaled. Um, and even one really important part of the, the model, which I can dive into more detail, is the Moonshot Lab, where we ask kids, what problem do you want to solve? And we give them all of the resources of the school are at their disposal to help them solve it. Um, and when we did that, we did that for three years with some local funding in Hawaii uh, with the local kids. And they, um, you know, they literally did launch nonprofits and launch their own companies and create their own apps. Uh, and it was in essence, a, uh, you know, a student accelerator in, in multiple meanings of the word. So that is the sort of beating heart of Aries. Yes, it's a school. Yes, there's this launchpad curriculum where they get everything from anthropology to astrophysics, but uh, also all of the kids are engaged from the get-go in solving problems and innovating. Um, and the economic engine that we're proposing is that that can actually, you know, the, the companies that launch out of it, the financial um, successes that launch out of that can feed back into the school and finance the school. So is, is Aries is separate from the Space Prize? Oh, yeah, 100%. So Aries is, is very much a, uh, a separate project. It's a startup. We just, I was sharing with you, we just got into the, uh, the new chip accelerator. Um, the vision is to be kind of an end run around public schools, to be this, this um, proof of concept of another model. Uh, another, and a colleague of mine named Chris Walsh years ago challenged me. He said, if you can come up with a free private school, <laughs> you can you can really start to transform things. So um, we we think we have a, a totally new way of doing that. So we're really excited about it. Okay, just to bear down that on, on that for a second. So free private school. Yes, focused on preparing. Oxymoron, students. right there. I mean, uh, <laughs> how do you make that work? 
So you make you make that work with the underlying um, economics of a startup accelerator. So not all the kids are going to go to space. Not all the kids are going to be entrepreneurs. But all the kids are going to be solving problems that they're passionate about. And a certain percentage of them are going to lead to viable solutions that can be commercialized. And a percentage of that feeds back into funding the school. Um, and we think we can do it at scale. One of the from my from my economic standpoint, uh, if you look at uh, venture capital culture, you know, largely it's had to being in the right place at the right time has made a big difference. Did you grow up in Silicon Valley in in the late seventies, early eighties, right? Um, that's less so now. An accelerator like New Chip is global and largely online, and they they crushed it during COVID. Uh, but if there were local accelerators capturing the innovative ideas of the youth in communities across the country and across the world, that completely changes things in today's. Uh, you know, interconnected online world. If those companies can get financed and those millionaires stay in those communities, uh, I had a friend of mine put it to me this way: What if, what if uh, Mark Zuckerberg didn't have to leave his his town in New York to to found Facebook and have it funded? Like there would be his friends and family and and the uh, the the folks that uh, would have invested with him there would be millionaires and completely changed that that town and that that community in that area. Right? Yeah, so you're bringing the the uh, the opportunity to them. It, it's funny because it's sort of a a playoff of and total reverse of um, um, you know child labor exploitation. <laughs> you're you're, uh, you're basically it's it's child capitalism or something you're you know the, the kids are coming up with the idea they're going to benefit from it they're going to benefit from it and yeah, their so this, that's slightly it. different than very different know, very very different production yeah, really putting the, the we have focused for years on the concept of student agency kids are the one making creating doing editing sharing student you know, agency yes I like that that's the I one like the student's that. the one doing the heavy lifting right um so this the whole school is focused on preparing kids for the growing space economy and for humanity's rapidly approaching multi-planet future, which is, you know, 10 years or less away. Uh, so that's great whether or not they go into space. That's great whether or not they become an entrepreneur. Um, and, and the other layer, the sort of underlying economic layer is this thing we're talking about now, where the, the agency is really uh, a financial factor too. Wow. All right, you're gonna. Uh, we're gonna grow the uh, Bezoses and Musks, and pick your favorite billionaire. That's right. Um, uh, very, very cool. Well, look, we're gonna wrap up this segment. We're gonna come back in just a moment. Um, so, my spacer friends, you're listening to I Rock, and uh, this is the Space Revolution. I'm Rick Tumlinson. We're with Dr. Mark Wagner, and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back, my fellow space cadets. I'm Rick Tumlinson, and you're listening to iRock, and the show this evening you're listening to is The Space Revolution. We have Dr. Mark Wagner, space educator and uh, dreamer, and uh, somebody who's going to help us create future generations who are up to the task of opening the universe. So, so Mark, we were just starting to talk about these uh, bullet points or ideas that you have as to necessary components for educating the next generation, the frontier generation. You know, we're going to be moving. I, I, my prediction is within a year of when this is being recorded, the world's going to be a different place. And it's going to start sinking into people what's possible uh, with the launch of 
certain spaceships and such that are going to be occurring. Um, and the kind of mind that a, that a human being needs to take to the task of entering the unknown and, and being uh, a part of that and moving forward into this unknown place. You know, to me, what's really exciting about this, and one reason I want to dive into this in this section, is I also feel that this time in human history is exactly when we need to be amplifying this kind of, of learning, this kind of way of being in the universe as this next generation comes up and faces what pretty dark and scary, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of in this position of like, uh, you know, uh, clean up on planet three, you know, we screwed it up, you guys get to clean it up. Um, and so there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns. And yet, underlying it all, I think is this potential for greatness as, as, as this crazy species of ours deals with it. And that's all on the next generation. So let's talk about that. Tell me, tell us about your, uh, your ideas as to this sort of well-rounded education that you see. Yeah, no, thanks. That's, that's a good context to put it in for sure. But when, when we're asking ourselves what students are going to need to participate in this growing space economy or to even potentially be, you know, uh, future settlers on other planets, um, we, we definitely have some ideas about the skill sets and mindsets that will be most valuable. And that comes from our work over the last 20 plus years with innovative schools all over the world and seeing what works and what doesn't um, and recognizing what's needed. Um, I think if we, if we look ahead, it's going to be much more open-ended skill sets that help uh, students or future citizens uh, deal confidently with uncertainty uh, and with uh, difficult challenges. So that's where, you know, we started with that explorer's mindset, um, that they are going to be energized by the opportunity for discovery, even if it's hard. Uh, maybe particularly because it's hard, right? Uh, Seymour Papert was an educational technologist at the MIT Media Lab, and he talked about hard fun. Uh, and I think a lot of what you and I probably get out of talking about space is this is hard fun. Uh, it's it. fun part because it's hard. And so trying to help students develop that mindset is something is something you can actually do in a, in a school or learning institution. Um, the second one we, we just started talking about before the break was this idea of moonshot thinking. And for our part, we're we're really inspired by um, Google's X Lab. Or it's just X now, I suppose. Uh, and and some of the folks that were influential in setting that up and creating a, a true moonshot factory there. Right. So they'll acquiesce that moonshot thinking goes back to, you know, the Polynesian Islanders that uh, that struck off across the, the ocean without any idea of what they were going to find uh, or how to get there. Uh, but the the name draws from, of course, uh, you know, Kennedy's moonshot uh, when he said we're we're going to go to the moon in ten years, even though we don't know how yet, uh, and that we're going to do these things because they're hard. Um, and that idea that we can aspire to solving a problem that we don't know how we're going to solve yet—that's not normal in school. Normally, in school, you're solving problems that that have been solved and we know the answer and you can get it wrong uh so moonshot thinking is entirely different so is design thinking for that matter uh that you're trying to solve a problem with a new unique solution and we put moonshot thinking before design thinking because that's important for getting out of the box design thinking sometimes can get trapped in iteration and, and what and the feedback you're getting from users for instance 
But with moonshot thinking, you're you're challenging yourself to take a, a a you know a wicked problem and look for a revolutionary answer, and then you go figure out how you're going to do it. You develop the breakthrough technology, right? Um, so we we teach that model. We've done that with kids. We ran the moonshot lab in in Hawaii, as I mentioned to you before the call. Uh, for three years. And it was a 20% project at the time where kids came and we asked them, what problem do you want to solve? You've got all the re- us and all the resources of the school at your disposal. And they uh, they did amazing things. They, they put sensors in the water that are still there. They launched uh, companies, they launched nonprofits, they made their own clothing lines, they made their own apps. Uh, they made a, 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 what do you call it? A planetarium to teach uh, stargazing and traditional constellations that uh, that are not uh, taught elsewhere. So they're passing on their their um, indigenous knowledge as as Hawaiians. Uh, they made their own app that uh, that had uh, like a stargazing app, you know, like you would you would find on on your phone, uh, but with the Hawaiian constellations in it. So and they were working with developers all over the world, and they did really really cool stuff. So this I, uh, the moonshot thinking isn't just a thing for engineers at Google's you know secret lab. It's, it's absolutely something that kids can do and they knock it out of the park when they're given the opportunity. Um, and then we back that up with design thinking. Once they have the great idea, now they, they got to go through the process of actualizing it and they learn how to empathize with users and they learn how to ideate uh, potential solutions and prototype them and test them uh, and go through that cycle uh, to improve upon all of their ideas. Um, so they, they, they learn that. Um, at Aries, they they do that in the Moonshot Lab. Um, those, you know, the these these skill sets and mindsets are are critical to a number of the uh, the chapters or articles in the Space Education book. If anybody's interested in diving into that, uh, and then like I said, we follow that up with this idea of synthesis. They're going to be pulling um, solutions, possibilities, input from lots of different sources and from a diversity of people. Uh, and as they solve these problems. And so helping them to to do that and to address the ethical elements of the problems too is, is really important to our program. And, and a hat tip there to Josh Don, who who developed the, um, well, the synthesis school now, but the Ad Astra school at uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX uh, several years ago for Musk kids and some of the employees kids. Uh, he developed these scenarios that were synthesis scenarios with ethical elements. And so we're inspired by that work too. So what, what we've written about and what we've built is is um, what we're proposing are all pieces that, that do work. We've seen them work and we're putting them, putting them all together, uh, including Hansei being that, that Japanese idea of, of relentless self-reflection and building that into, into the days. Um, we have a, uh, an Edison lunch, we call it, inspired by Edison's midnight lunch. Uh, where Edison's uh, engineers often worked late and he would buy them lunch in the middle of the night uh, so that they could all come together and talk. And you would find that ideas, you know, crossed teams and those opportunities for synergy were there uh, and and solutions and innovations were born. And so the idea is to bring the kids together for that at the middle of the day. And then at the end of the day, they've got a, an opportunity um, to reflect during the Hansei session and ask themselves what they did well, what they did poorly and what they can do better tomorrow. Um, you know, and it's, it's really is synthesizing the, the Eastern Western way of doing things. Um, like, like that old, uh, what was the movie gung ho in the, <laughs> was that in the eighties with the, when the, the quality management, uh, uh met Toyota <laughs> in auto manufacturing in Japan. Right. 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 So you're, um, you are, you're synthesizing. And, and again, you know, this is, 
I mean, this is the first frontier where we're all coming together. So why not bring all of these different methods from all of the parts of our culture yep. um, and, and take the ones that work and, and yourself synthesize. Now, all of this, I'm going to guess, is also built, though. There, there's still going to be good old old school rote learning at some basic level of, you know, because you, you got to know some of this. There's going to have right? to be. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that sometimes I think that one of the challenges with some of the different waves of sort of educational theory or, you know, the way people are approaching, you know, they, they throw out some of the, the basics and, and focus on all of this other stuff. You got to have the basics. You, you have you do, to be yeah. able to do some math, understand yeah. physics, that kind of thing. How do you how do you blend those two in a way that's compelling, exciting, but still make sure? I mean, absolutely sure, you know, that they know the physics and science of it. Yeah. So blend is a good term for it. Um, the term in, in the education world is blended learning, right? This idea that it's online and face to face. And I think you have to blend that um, sort of rote, uh, you know, can you access process and regurgitate information when and as needed like blending that with this more open-ended kind of learning that i'm talking about which by the way can be a great driver for the rote learning like if you're trying to build something and you need to know the mathematics behind it you're suddenly a lot more motivated to learn the math or learn the good good point yeah Mm -hmm. um but what we found is again during the pandemic if kids had access to the technology and they had the support they were doing their core curriculum in like 90 minutes to two hours. They didn't need six hours of sitting in chairs and lectures and worksheets. Like if kids have access to a high quality online curriculum, a lot of them can fly through it. Now, the ones that that don't need to have that one-to-one support and tutoring and uh, remediation. But in general, as long as the kids have access to technology and they have the adult support, they can move much, much more quickly than our traditional school day. So for instance, a lot of kids, you know, here in Irvine, for instance, they, they did emergency distance learning really well. And a lot of kids were done in 90 minutes, two hours. So what do you do with the rest of the day? Well, it turns out there's a really great answer to that. If you look at this launchpad curriculum where we're learning anthropology to astrophysics and you look at the moonshot lab, now kids, instead of, you know, turning their work in and twiddling their thumbs and waiting for a grade, that nobody else will ever see. Now they're using a much higher percentage of their day to do something meaningful that will benefit their community or benefit some cause that they they care about, the problem that they've they're passionate about learning. So we we love a system called CK12, which is a uh, a free open education resource uh, available globally, and it's an entire kindergarten to twelfth grade curriculum uh, online. And it can be used with the support of a teacher. Uh, quite easily. Uh, or it can be a self-paced thing where you just decide I'm going into the biology book and it's my time to learn biology. Uh, and there are, most of the courses have a flex book it's called. So it's like an online book uh, with lots of interactives. There's um, there's visuals, of course, and there's uh, simulations. Um, there, there's games and it links out to other, other places on the web too. Um, but that's a full curriculum you can arrange, um, you know, the kids with a teacher or a tutor 
to, to crank through that in the mornings. And then you've got the uh, Edison lunch in the afternoons for the uh, Launchpad curriculum and the, and the Moonshot Lab. Okay, so you are blending them because I mean, you know, it's. I mean, also, you get a lot of the basics are done by the time they're 14. They've learned to read. They've learned enough basic right, math. That right, can, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're on air with like one of the world's worst students. So, um, <laughs> you know, and my, my time was spent trying to figure out how to cut classes and, you know, skip out. And, um, and here's and the yet, thing. There was a good reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I always thought I was smarter than my teachers, which is not true. Um, I didn't <laughs> I didn't appreciate where they were trying to get me. Um, the question, though, is, you know, we're um, having done all of that and being a rebel myself when it came to school. It's interesting how many of the things that I was rebelling against, you know, the, 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 the pieces of it I got before I cut class, I find myself having to use now. You know, and maybe it's something as boring as, I guess, in space, like the behavior of a gas, you know, um, something like that. Um, and what I'm always concerned about is if, if, if the student has total freedom to totally pick their path, they're going to be excited. They're going to learn a lot, but there's going to be a couple of things in each area that they're going to go around. And then much to their chagrin later on in life, they're going to, oh, you know, I wish I'd learned that skill. Yeah. Um, yeah. You kind of have to, it, I, I'm not saying it can't all be fun. But there has to be a way to make sure the, there's a well-rounded education. Yeah, I mean, right? I, so I think of it in terms of awareness. Uh, I mean, everybody's going to choose a path, and there there's going to be branches that they regret ignoring. But uh, but I think in terms of awareness, there were things that I encountered, and this is where the launchpad curriculum comes from. There were things I encountered in college or in grad school, and I was like, why on earth are they not teaching this in high school? Right. Um, certainly in some of the communication classes and so forth. But, you know, I'm thinking of things like anthropology, like philosophy. Like, I don't know why there's not a good deal more philosophy in high school. Um, uh, e even linguistics. I took a linguistics class as an undergrad and I was like, everybody should have linguistics. I feel that way about calculus too. But um, And psychology. Everybody should have psychology. I mean, that should be a basic high school curriculum as an, you know, a psychology 101 course, right? Right, so right. these are the things we built into the launchpad curriculum as as raising awareness. So like they'll get some anthropology, they'll get some psychology, they'll get philosophy. They're going to learn the Stoics, uh, and and also as a shot in the arm when they're working on their projects. If all of a sudden now they're exposed to all of these other ideas, um, you know, in a, in a small dose at a high school level, there that's going to help them see what's possible and then know what rabbit holes they could go down as they're as they're solving the problems and launching their projects right yeah i mean look as, as a kid if i when i was 12 if i had understood psychology you know so i could understand why the jock was punching me in the face uh, <laughs> it really wasn't me he had a problem with his father or something like that that would i don't know i would probably still gotten punched in the face but at least i don't understand why but the perspective anyway, change <laughs> let's let's wrap up this section we're going to come back and uh, go into our our final uh, segment here um you're listening to uh the space revolution we have dr mark wagner my name is rick tumlinson and we are on irock we'll be right back all right you're back on irock radio it's the space revolution with rick tumlinson and today's guest is dr mark wagner so mark 
I'm, I'm really getting into what you're, we could probably go for quite a bit longer, but um, I've got some super important questions to ask you here, um, which I do with most of the guests. Uh, Let's hear it. So I want you to imagine that you're um, flying over the moon. You're going really fast, coming up over the uh, sea of tranquility into the, the first crater rims it's really incredible you're flying super fast um what kind of music are you listening to <laughs> uh well i'm i'm something of a uh, u2 fan and i think if i imagine being in that context and maybe seeing the earth rise uh i, I think beautiful day has got to be on there oh great choice man yeah yeah i could hear bono in my ears uh yeah absolutely you're uh um what what is your favorite science fiction movie? Oh, science fiction movie! Uh, I was already starting to think books. Um, boy, that's a great question. There's so many good ones right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Star Trek Six, uh, which is maybe a little campy, but uh, the idea being, I think, in a lot of ways, that was the pinnacle of the original series. Um, and Star Trek certainly has been inspirational to me in terms of uh, a vision for a future where diverse people are working together using science and technology to solve problems and uh, and sometimes spirituality. But and that particular movie was the one in which the Klingons and the, the Federation overcome their differences and, and come together. Uh, despite the efforts of more hawkish elements. And so that, that was a really good one. It also turns out to be pretty good production values and a great way to introduce your kids to Star Trek. We started there. Um, so that, that was, it was also the one in which Spock says logic is only the beginning of understanding. Uh, it was really kind of a fantastic uh, spiritual moment in the middle of that, that, uh, that show. So yeah, I, I'm going to go with that right now. There's, there's great science fiction movies out there for, with other dimensions, but I'll go with Star Trek six. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing them too, and 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 um, I should have told you, and, and you didn't go there that Star Wars doesn't count because it's a fantasy that just happens to be set in space. Um, favorite book? Yeah, you you, you mentioned that. Yeah, uh, this one is going to be a little different, but uh, but I love Dan Simmons' Hyperion. Um, it it, it uh, as a he was a former English teacher too, and it, it's it's sort of modeled on the Canterbury Tales. It's seven pilgrims on a pilgrimage to, to this planet, but he was a horror writer and there's a great horror monster. And it's just so many, so many great ideas. And I think the, the book came out in the nineties and predicted so much of what's happened with the internet and, and our culture. And then it's just got these wild sci-fi ideas too. What was the, what was the first one that you were exposed to? Was it a book, a movie, a TV show that got you? Yeah, into also, I had very early exposure to Star Trek in elementary school um, before even next generation came out or anything. I was a huge fan. Um, but I probably middle school, I remember reading the foundation trilogy, uh, camping with my family. Like I remember being in the tent with like the giant book that had all three of the original trilogy in it. And that was just such a cool perspective that, you know, Asimov took his, his knowledge of the rise and fall of the Roman empire and applied it to human history over tens of thousands of years across the galaxy. And it was just, just a spectacular perspective changing read. Yeah, there's a, a video version of it on Apple now. And, yeah, um, it was cool. I didn't think it quite captured 
the scope, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, just a quick aside. One of the things I tell people, um, uh, whoever pays attention and that's, you know, very few, but the idea of, uh, uh, especially in science fiction, that movies in science fiction are the trailers for the book. So mm. see the visual version first, then read the book and get the, the big picture. Cause otherwise you're going to be disappointed because they leave stuff out. The only exception that I have found is 2001 space odyssey, oh, which yeah. has so much of it that is just music playing that you need to read the book to know what, you know, Dave's thinking or, or whatever's going on. Um, but so, so um, Hyperion star Trek, very, very cool. How, did you recognize in yourself or when did you recognize in yourself that this was your draw, that this, that you were getting the calling as I call it to move into the, into space? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I was a, like I said, a space enthusiast from really young. Definitely by the time I was in fifth grade, I was a, I went to a, my first Star Trek convention, you know? Uh, but I think, well, that's a good question. Um, cause I, you know, I, I grew up in the, the early shuttle era and, and this, this sort of progress was presumed and we were, we were all going to be a part of it. And we were, I had a poster that David Brin was a part of speaking of science fiction authors in my room that said we'd be on Mars by 2014. So that, that didn't happen. It was a NASA published poster. Um, but this was all around me since I was a kid and I went to space camp in sixth grade and 10th grade. So it's interesting that I, I got away from it in the nineties when aerospace was kind of dead. And, uh, and I, I left my astronautical engineering degree to go study science fiction and ended up teaching literature in high school. Um, luckily that led to education technology and a pretty fantastic career, but it was really only, um, about a year before the pandemic. Uh, I was, I was ready to move on ready for something else. And I started looking again at space and it was obviously a lot of exciting stuff happening in commercial space, especially, and started looking at, um, you know, space education in particular. Um, by the time I got into Kepler, uh, it was, it was clear. This is, yeah, this is definitely what I meant to do. This is taking all my early enthusiasm for space and coupling it with my career in education technology. And it feels like everything has sort of come to uh, completion uh, which is to say, this is only the beginning. Like it feels like I'm ready for launch. You know, right, right. You're you're just warming up, and yeah, uh, you, you feel like you were meant to do this. And, um, you know, you know me a little bit. We, uh, you know, it is my belief we're at this moment in time. You know, we are we are in the transition. We're at the uh, the tipping point, the fulcrum, the when the roller coaster reaches the top and gets ready to go. Um, how do you see yourself moving forward? What what role would you like to play that would make you feel that you had participated to your to your max in this, um, and given your max for those who are coming? What what do you want to do? Oh boy, that's a, I mean that's a great question. I'm not I'm not short on ambition. You know the the work I've been doing over the past year with Space Prize is is really meaningful, and I feel like it's just a tease of what's possible because. That's you know a small number of young women in the in the contests and a small number of people that we're reaching with the other resources. Um, I hope our curriculum gets used widely, um, but that's going to be largely uh, raising awareness around the place. But what I'm doing with Aries now really feels like the beginning of something very big. 
Um, if I look at where education technology was 15 years before the pandemic, um, you know, Google for education didn't exist. There were no Chromebooks. And by 2019, they had 95% market penetration in North America. And when the pandemic hit, every kid, you know, had a Chromebook. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but emergency distance learning was possible and it would not have been in the past. Uh, and I think we're at a very similar place when it comes to space education. Google in 2006 had zero employees in education. Today, they have hundreds. Um, right now, SpaceX has zero employees in education. My prediction is in 10 years, they're going to have hundreds uh, because SpaceX and Blue Origin and, and a lot of the others who are in this space now, uh, Sierra, you name it, they're going to want to influence that generation too. And they're going to want um, workforce development. They're going to want to influence workforce development. They're going to want to influence the hearts and minds of people the same way Apple did when they put Apple IIs in the classrooms in the 80s. Uh, and I think we are that that moment, the Apple II moment for space education is still ahead of us. And I would love to be a part of that. Um, I think ideally I want Aries to be a proof of concept that shows, um, that can be replicated in, in communities all over the world and that shows existing uh, education institutions that they can do it too and that they can set up uh, magnet schools or wherever it needs to start in their, their systems and that it can change the system from the inside. And that's frankly, that's what happened in Hawaii. Uh, completely changed their perspective on, on Google for Education and Chromebooks. We completely changed, you know, the, the Moonshot Lab went from something outside that was resisted to to being integrated into the, the local schools. So this this is, um, you know, I think I, we have every reason to believe we can do this. And and literally, uh, you know, you talk about our mission, like my, my mission on my resolutions now is, you know, prepare humanities, prepare for humanity's multi-planet future. And that's, I feel like I'm doing that every day with students. I hope I get to do it big, but I'm doing it every day. Yeah. Look, we live in a time where I think uh, people in your domain um, as teachers are, it's disgusting that they don't get the respect. They don't get the honor. They don't get the pay. They don't get anything uh, that they deserve, you know, and, and teacher retention is a big problem right now. Yeah, our society is kind of upside down. The most important people get the least respect. Um, what do you say to a teacher right now who may be listening, you know, who's going to go back into a regular classroom tomorrow morning and um, have to face all the things the teachers face, uh, but yet maybe is feeling that tingling, that same calling that you and I have, that we have? Um, what What would you say to them as to as – to, where they should go, what they should do, how they should I'm going to borrow a line from a, a fellow education technologist, uh, a guy named Tom March from Australia. In 2006, I saw him at a conference and he, he got asked a similar question. What, what do you say to teachers who want, want to blog with their kids and want to use wikis and podcasts, but they're not allowed to by their district? Um, and without missing a beat, he just said, which, by the way, I think is a very Australian perspective. He said, be subversive. Do it anyway. Uh, and I think if you feel like you're stuck teaching to the test and you've got to spend all your time on the standards and there's, you know, you got to get through the worksheets, like yeah, just do it anyway. You know, the, the kids are going to appreciate it. They're going to learn more. They're going to be motivated. You could change their lives. The, the parents will appreciate it. And if you go around that whole circle, it's, you know, if you look at standardized testing, for instance, it's the, uh, the, the teacher says the principal makes me do it. The principal says the district makes me do it. The district says, oh, the politicians make me do it. And if you go all the way around that, the politician's like, well, the voter wants it. Well, like, no, now you're back to the parent uh, who says the teacher makes my kid take the standardized test. None of the people in the entire circle want our kids on worksheets all day. 
so you just have to be the one to step out and be subversive uh, and do the thing that you know is more meaningful in your classroom with your kid. So literally taking the concept of dealing with a frontier, which by the way, frontiers are places that say no. And then you say yes. And then you transform the frontier into a place that says, yes, I can be there. Yeah, you're exactly. And, and so the teacher is doing that. They're facing their own frontier, their own hostile environment, let's say. Yep. And you're saying just go for it, make it happen. And off you go. Yeah, that's exactly right. It applied that, that explorer's mindset to the difficult work of teaching in a school today. Uh, and, and you can be uncomfortable with the uncertainty and the challenge and still have an abundance mindset around solutions. So. Perfect. And see how we brought that all the way back around to your curriculum. So ah, wow. Genius, man. Mark Wagner, thank you very, very much. And um, it's Aries Learning. And the book is called Space Education. Go buy it right now, especially if you're a teacher. Mark, it's been my honor. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, Rick. I loved it. It was a great, great conversation. Thanks for letting me ramble. Hey, all good, all good. All right, you're listening to iRock. My name is Rick Tomlinson. This is the Space Revolution. We're on the iHeartRadio network, and we are 